Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Hey there, how's it going, eh? This is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode where we get to talk to you about the games we've been playing recently. We'd also like to welcome, new to the cast, Chris Morris of Moats Art Games. And on this episode are Definitely a Board Game Podcast, Dyson Dragons, All You Can Board, The Maple Dungeon, Moats Art Games, Board on the Air, Board and Games with Andrew B, Friday Night Games, and Cardboard Conjecture. And remember to check out the show notes for the links to the What You Been Playing Wednesday cast members. And relax and enjoy the episode. Hello, I am A.A. Ron Milich. And I'm Royce Calverly. And we are definitely a board game podcast. Podcast definitely about board games, except when they're not. And we're back on What You Been Playing Wednesday. Royce, what you been playing on Wednesday? So we actually just dropped our episode 35 last week and it was all about looking back at online gaming as we're coming out of COVID a little bit here in Canada and I thought one interesting thing that came out of this is I've gotten to play some games that I haven't played in a long time that I never thought would be even an option and this is one uh, that just recently came up on Board Game Arena that blew me away that it was on there. And that was In the Year of the Dragon. Hmm. This is a Stefan Feld title from 2007 wow. from Aaliyah Ravensburger. And all of a sudden it's on Board Game Arena. Nice. And I just I wonder about the thought process to bring this really excellent, underappreciated Stefan Feld game because it's very different than all of his other games. Oh. Uh, most of his games are all about getting points, about scoring points. This one, as much as anything, is about avoiding losing points. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> it's very punishing. Every turn, there's a calamity. There's a, there's a danger, a, fa- a famine, a disease, a taxes, something. And every single turn, you're being beaten down by these things. And the best, the winner is the one that can navigate those calamities best. You can see all the calamities and the order they're going to come in. And, you know, you have your rice farmer, but there's not going to be any more famines, but there is a plague. Who do you kill off? Well, let's kill off the farmer because we don't need rice anymore because there's not going to be any more famines. So it's really a cool, neat decision on what do you lose as opposed to trying to gain things. Really enjoy In the Year of the Dragon. Was shocked that it came up on BGA. If you haven't played it before, I highly recommend it, even if you don't love Stefan Feld like I do, because it really is unique. It's different from the rest of his stuff. Sounds good. Well, my game is also from Board Game Arena, and it's also nasty and horrible and and vindictive too. (laughs) My game is called Solo. Uh, This is essentially Uno, but with a interesting twist. 
I remember playing Uno as a kid and there was a variation that I don't think was ever written in the rules, but that you could play out a turn. So if someone plays a red nine, if you had a red nine in your hand, you could play out a turn and get rid of it really quickly. And they kind of remembered this variation and they've recreated Uno into a game called Solo where that rule applies. And with the usual, you know, black plus four and all the colored plus twos and all those other, you know, horrible cards, miss a turn, skip a turn, reverse direction, all this stuff. Uh, and of course, you have to call solo before you go out when you have one card. And that is the one thing that is the most frustrating because I don't know what it is with my laptop and I'm sure I'm not the only one, but I think I've clicked the solo button and then you didn't and then you play the card and you get two back. Uh, this is the kind of game where you could probably lose family and friends over. <laughs> it's uh, it's it, you could be very mean and nasty if you want to. Oh, they've also added a card where you can rotate hands. So just when you think you're going to be out soon because you have two cards left, there goes that rotate cards hand. And all of a sudden you have 15 cards that you made someone else pick up. Karma is a B-I-T-C-H, right, Royce? <laughs> you know what? <laughs> If anybody ever wonders if we have any gaming in common, I can understand why. <laughs> Here I am talking about a classic, a Euro game, a beautiful design, and you're talking about a Nuno variant. Mine's a classic. <laughs> it's a classic. Well, it was a classic, and it's a new... Whatever, Royce. <laughs> Sometimes the simple ones are fun. But if you're looking for a game to you know, say goodbye to your family, I definitely recommend Solo on BGA. It's a good filler in between game, especially after you've blown your brains out playing in the Year of the Dragon. All right. <laughs> we'll go with that. Where can they find us, Aaron, if they want to hear us disagree about other games? I don't know if they'll want to now. Well, our podcasts are on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and pretty much anywhere podcasts live. We have our website too um, on Buzzsprout, definitely a board game podcast. You can listen to them there. Um, and if you want to talk to us and let me know that you think Solo is a terrible game, definitely board at gmail.com, at board definitely on Twitter, at definitely board on Facebook, and we have a guild, definitely board game podcast on Board Game Geek. And I think that's pretty much everything. It's almost impossible not to find us. I'd give you our addresses, but no, I'm not going to go that far. I'm online. You can find <laughs> my address pretty easy. There you go. Look them up. Go play. Uh, in the Year of the Dragon with Royce and and the sad part is I would be happy to have anyone come over knock on the door and say hey can we play in the Year of the Dragon <laughs> yes come on in <laughs> COVID's been tough on Royce yeah. all right is that it Royce that's it say goodbye Royce goodbye Royce bye everybody What up, gamers? I'm Jason. I'm Julie, and together we're Dyson Dragons. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram at Dyson Dragons, and on Twitter at Dyson Dragon. And this is What You've Been Playing Wednesdays. So what have we been playing, Julie? Well, we finished up um, Fast and Furious, or Fast and Furious. Yeah, Highway Heist from Funko Games, designed by Prospero Hall. And we got another game back to the table, something that we talked about quite a while ago on the more meeples the merrier which is descent second edition yes a game by adam sadler Corey kanitska and daniel clark and published by fantasy flight games with the new descent legends in the dark coming and this being our 
well, from what we remember, our top game, we were like, we got to get this reviewed before a new version comes out. So we were playing through the Shadows, well, Shadow of Nericol campaign. It was awesome, honestly. It's one of my favorite games. And I've said before, I don't know if I rem if I would like it as much since it's been so long since we got it at the table, since we've played so many other games since then. But it's a lot of fun. Yeah, there's a couple of things that I, I don't like, but that's not necessarily about the gameplay itself. Apps have come a long way since this one was created. So let's finish the conversation on Fast and Furious Highway Heist. We talked about the, the ease of play, and uh, just some of the wonkiness that we had in our first few plays. But we played all the scenarios. We got to try out all the cars and all the characters. What's the final verdict after that last scenario that we did? It was a little nuts, honestly. <laughs> cars jumping and hitting, uh, hitting helicopters. And it was nuts. And leaping from car to car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was nuts. Uh, it's like the movies. It's truly unbelievable. Um, but uh, I think it's fun. I think it's for people who it's for uh, anybody who loves the IP. I think you'll enjoy this because uh, I think it is what it is. It is it is Fast and Furious. And I think this is a nice, easy game, uh, a light game. Uh, they can be played by basically just about anybody. And I, I know we've said it a lot in the last little while, but this is a great uh, game night opening game. Uh, it's relatively quick, and uh, I think it's something that could be uh, could be fun. Well, we've been pulling out a lot of those games, and we've been getting a lot of them, so clearly we're getting ready for game night again. And I got to agree with you, Fast and Furious Highway this is a lot of fun, easy to play. Not the best game, but you get a lot more fun than I think our review score will let you know. It'll be coming out uh, the day after this. Uh, but one thing that did definitely happen was the balance. Your roles and not all characters are created equally for every scenario. We had some really great roles for you as Roman and me as Tej. And we basically took out the chopper in two turns. The last scenario that's supposed to be the most difficult, we just knocked it out. Yeah, and again, that's, you know, as we said, it's the randomness of uh, of dice and, you know, the different cards that come up. Exactly. So Descent Second Edition. How was it to get this back to the I table? I love getting Widow Tara back to the table. I missed her. I can't wait for her to get overpowered again. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. We, You actually have the same characters, I think, from our last campaign. Uh, we're only using the core box as well as the Shadow of Nericle box. And uh, just from what I remember during my research... The Shadow of Nericle characters aren't the strongest, so we're all using characters from the core box. Uh, I am using uh, Avric Albright as the bard, though, and I have to say, uh, after using the bardic songs properly, it's really nice to constantly heal. And uh, yeah, the it's been really fun, and I'm looking forward to playing through this. Uh, we should be getting our copy of Legends in the Dark maybe on the 6th. I'm not sure. It, it's shipping from uh, 401 Games, so probably next week. Uh, and then uh, we're going to work our, do our best to get through all of the Nericol campaign. I don't think it'll happen before we start playing Legends of, uh, Legends of the Dark. But uh, hopefully we'll be able to give you some thoughts about the, the differences in the two games. I really think that the, the weakest aspect of this is the, is the app. And don't get me wrong, the app works well. It does everything you need it to do. It gives you all the information. But even just from what I remember of the Imperial Assault app, it's just a little snappier and a little cleaner. 
Whereas this one just feels a lot clunkier, especially compared to Journeys in Middle-earth, which we have actually played now more times than The Synth. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, I see what you're saying for the app. I, it hasn't hindered the game at, at all, I don't think, though. No, it doesn't affect the game. It's just when you're looking at it, it definitely feels a little dated in terms of the technology. But the gameplay is still top-notch. I love ex what we're doing. I like the roles. I like the characters. I love the abilities. It still stands up as a really good dungeon crawler. Like, the game hasn't suffered at all. It's just really that app integration. I really liked how in Journeys in Middle-earth, it's like, the bad guys will do this instead of having us go through the list of options. And, you know, it's a different game design and it is slightly a critique, but I mean, you can't play Journeys in Middle-earth without the app, which is one thing you can do in the set. We even have some print and play stats to actually automate, I think, just about every single campaign. So we've got a ton more Descent 2nd Edition and I can't see it uh, leaving our collection anytime soon. I don't think I have anything else to add right now. I mean, we've just started playing it again. I, I look forward to getting uh, through some more campaigns. Yeah, the, the first mission for Nericol is deceptively long. I forgot how long it was. And lots of stuff going on. It's definitely an advanced mission. Uh, that's all I really have to say. We really just got our, our foot in the door with uh, Descent. You'll be hearing more about uh, second edition probably one more time, uh, potentially before this review comes out or it'll be after the review. I don't know, we've got some other fun, cool things coming for what you've been playing Wednesdays that's going to change it up a little bit, but also let us get some more time in with uh, Descent. So on that note, it's time to remind you to keep playing games! Hey everyone, Dylan and Carlo from All You Can Board here, back for another What You've Been Playing Wednesdays. Big thanks to Cardboard Conjecture for having us on again. Um, and today we are talking about Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition. So we finally were able to play this. We only played it once uh, so far, but we're going to talk about uh, our experiences. So I'm going to let Carlo talk about his experiences as someone coming from um, Race from the Galaxy, because that's a game that it's very similar to. And then afterwards, I'll talk about myself coming from someone who's played a lot of the original Terraforming Mars. You guys will have two perspectives. Uh, so I'll throw it to Carlo first to give you his thoughts on the game. All right. So first off, I want to mention uh, Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition uh, was designed by Jacob Vixelius, who designed the original Terraforming Mars, but it was also co-designed by Nick Little and Sidney Engelstein, and this was published by Stronghold Games. We did receive this copy of the game as a review copy from the publisher. So yeah, basically they've kept the Terraforming Mars kind of theme, the idea of, you know, increasing the oxygen levels and uh, heat and that kind of stuff, but they've kind of used the race for the galaxy system of the simultaneous card play with the five phases so the way it's going to work you pick a card that's going to and you put it face down then all players are going to flip their cards to reveal which phases trigger um you know you get to piggyback off of other players um actions that they chose basically but whoever chose the phase is going to get a little bonus for doing it so every round is this new cycle of picking up a card putting it down picking your actions for the turn and then everyone's kind of doing the same things at once um, one of the things this does differently than Race for the Galaxy, which is kind of neat, is that you cannot pick the same action card two phases in a row. So let's say you put down the research card this time, then the next uh, round, you leave that out face up so that when you play your other card face down, players can see what you picked last time and know, okay, this guy isn't going for it uh, the same, the same uh, round in a row kind of thing. So it does limit you a little bit. Uh, another thing I want to say that is a big difference between this and Race for the Galaxy is Race for the Galaxy plays in probably... 
uh, quickest would be maybe 20, 30 minutes, maybe 40 minutes sort of thing. Um, we have only played Ares Expedition once so far, but it did take probably about, with learning uh, and playing for the first time with three people, probably took about hour and a half, maybe a little closer to two hours. Um, I think that'll get a lot shorter after uh, playing it a few more times. The other thing is that in Race for the Galaxy, the game end is triggered anytime any player has 12 cards. So it is really a race. Whereas in Ares Expedition, I think we had like something like 25 or 30 cards each out in front of us. Um, another th- comparison I want to make real quick is that in in Race for the Galaxy, I felt like it was more of a tableau builder because I felt like the cards, once they were out on the table, had more ongoing effects that you had to check or things that triggered throughout. Whereas in Ares Expedition, a lot of it is once you play the card, if it's like a production card or something like that, you usually just mark what your production is on your little player mat, which means that a lot of the cards you actually play and sit there on the table in front of you don't actually get used for it. Like some of them, once you've already recorded your production on the player mat, you don't even need to really look at the card again, unless maybe it gives you a point at the end of the game or it has certain tags that allow you to play something else for cheaper. So I was looking for and hoping for a little more like opportunities to actually like get combos or synergize off the cards you have in play rather than just using them to kind of reduce the cost of other stuff. But um, yeah, I'm going to leave it at that for now because we will be doing a full review and comparison on our channel later. And now I'm going to throw it over to Dylan so he can compare this a little more to the original Terraforming Mars. Yeah, so I am a big fan of the original Terraforming Mars. I uh, really enjoy that game. Um, The interesting thing for me is that Ares Expedition is obviously billed as sort of a a card game version of Terraforming Mars. And it's funny because I think this version actually has less cards in it than the original Terraforming Mars. I think the main reason they call it that is because you lose the the base you basically lose the board yes there's still a board in here but there's not really much happening on the board um it's basically just a, a place to have your ocean tiles to be you know flipped over and dealt with uh the entire aspect of fighting over different territory on the board and putting your cubes on it is completely gone so i think that's why they call it a card game version it's it's kind of lost that aspect but for me i was just so surprised how much this game felt like i was playing a, just a game of terraforming mars i expected it to feel very different and like a new way to experience it. And yet it scratched pretty much every single itch I have when I'm wanting to play Terraforming Mars uh, in this box. Like I, 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 it felt way more similar than I was expecting to play in a game of Terraforming Mars, which makes it kind of, makes you kind of think, you know, why buy this game if you own the original Terraforming Mars, especially because the, I wouldn't say this is like a drastically shorter experience or something like that. I think that obviously, like Carla mentioned, you get the race for the galaxy, you know, type of me- uh, mechanic with the different phases and the simultaneous play in those and how those trigger. That's the, the main difference. But in re- relation to the original Terraforming Mars, I would say that, you know, if you didn't like Terraforming Mars, there's not going to be a lot to change your mind here. And if you really like Terraforming Mars and you already play it a lot or own it, I don't know that this game is necessarily going to be one that, you know, gives you an alternative to play or a new, like, uh, you know, something that feels fresher or, or anything like that. That was the biggest surprise for me. I also just, like, I really enjoyed it. Like, I enjoyed Ares Expedition a lot. Um, and if I hadn't played Terraforming Mars and this was my first experience, I think I would have left with an even more positive uh you know, thought process for it because it would have been like, like how I felt when I first discovered the original Terraform Mars for the first time. So that was the biggest surprise for me. Like Carla mentioned, um, there are a lot of cards in front of you, obviously, like, especially because they're calling this a card game version. Most of what you're doing and the way that the game is changing is by the cards that you're playing. Um, it, it felt a little bit longer than it needed to be, especially because you would expect this to be more of a scaled down version. It was our first time playing. So I don't want to, you know, put that label on it right away off the top because, you know, if we've played a few more times, especially with people that have already played it and we don't have to do any sort of like rules explanation, maybe the experience is a little bit shorter. I think overall it's probably going to slot in a little bit shorter than the original, but not 
by a drastic amount. Like you're not going to play this version because you want a quicker Terraform Mars experience. I don't personally think, but either way, I really enjoyed it. Like Carla mentioned, we are going to have a video on the channel that sort of goes over these comparisons in more in depth. And, and we sort of, you know, pinpoint if you're someone coming from Race in the Galaxy or the original, when this version might be for you, when it won't be for you, things like that, because all three of these games just share a lot of the same, you know, um, DNA and there's a lot of stuff between them. We really think that all three of these games are very similar in a lot of ways. But either way, that is uh, Terraform Mars Ares Expedition. That was uh, Carlo and my uh, thoughts on it. Um, again, thanks for having us on uh, Cardboard Conjecture, um, and we will be on next time and we'll have a different thing to talk about. Otherwise, we will. If you can, want, if you want to find out any more about us, allyoucanboard.com. We're on YouTube as well. Search us up there. We have a whole bunch of content, and we will see you next time. It's Rob and Anna-Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello. And we are back again recording for the What You've Been Playing Wednesdays podcast. And this week we are talking about one game. What game is that, Anna-Marie? That game is Red Rising, designed by Jamie Stegmeier and Alexander Schmidt. Art by Jackie Davis, Miles Bensky, and Justin Wong. Based on the novels by Pierce Brown. And published by Stonemeyer Games. Yeah, Red Rising. We're, we're quite late to the table with this one, but... Uh, we're here now, and we're going to talk about it. And um, yeah, so Red Rising is a uh, card drafting, hand building game. Um, and thematically, it takes place in the universe of Red Rising, which we don't know a lot about because we have not read have the books. Not read but the it books. is based on the series by Pierce Brown, featuring a dystopian society divided into 14 castes. You represent a house attempting to rise to power as you piece together an assortment of followers. Will you break the chains of society or embrace the dominance of the golds? So that's what it said on the back of the box. And that was the best way I could describe this game. <laughs> Sometimes it's um, just better to read. Yes. Um, so in this game, yeah, you're, you're going to be starting off as one of six different colors of house. So each, each house is a different color representing yeah. its spot in the society the hierarchy. ladder. Yeah. So you're going to start with one of these colors, and you're going to start with a hand of five cards. And on your turn, you're going to be basically placing a card onto one of four spots on the board. One is uh, Jupiter, one is Mars, one is Luna, and one is the Institute. And in each one of those spots are going to be, uh, I think, two starting cards. In two each starting each, yeah. yeah. And you're going to place a card down on top of one of those piles. And on your card that you place down, it's going to have a deploy action. So you're going to do some sort of action that that card has. And then after you've done the action, you are going to draft a card off of the top of one of the other piles of the other three spots. You're going to take that card to your hand. And then you are also going to get the bonus that comes along with that specific spot. So if you took a card from Jupiter, you would move a ship up the fleet track, which is going to get you victory points. Um, if you took one from Mars, you're going to get a helium crystal, and you're going to be collecting those to get victory points and trigger end-of-game scoring. Um, and on Luna, if you take a card from there, you are going to get the Sovereign Token, and the Sovereign Token is like a little trophy you kind of pass back and forth that will trigger different things. And then in the Institute, you'll be placing Influence, and uh, that will also end up giving you victory points and triggering end-of-game 
scoring. So yeah. if you didn't want to pick up any of the cards from the other piles, you can always also pick up off the top of the deck. Yep. And if you pick up off the top of the deck, you roll um, a die. They have like a bonus. It's called a bonus die. Uh, you roll it and you get whatever bonus um, lands up on the face. Some of them actually get you some of one of those things some of them don't some yeah. of them are just like oh pick another card from the top and place it down so it's or kind it'll of make you toss a card out of the game or yeah banish yeah, a card yeah, yeah it'll be it'll be different things that it makes you do so it's kind of a you know a guessing game if you're going to get a good bonus or not but um if you if there's nothing you want there and you want to just chance maybe getting a better card that's an option there yeah so what you're trying to do in drafting these cards is you're trying to use the cards in your hand to combo with all the other cards in your hand. So you're going to try and get cards that work together. So you need, like, symmetry in your cards to to trigger off each other. So you're trying to get, like, all five cards, hopefully, to all trigger from each other. Uh, to get you the most points. Yeah. Different types of points. So each card is worth, like, its own set uh, end-of-game scoring up in the top left. But down at the bottom... It'll say, so if if you had this card and it says, for every other red card in your hand, gain another 10 points. So if you had, you know, four other red cards in your hand, you're going to end up with an extra 40 points for that card. So if it was a 10-point card plus 40, all of a sudden it's a 50-point card. Right. But if you don't if you don't end up getting any more red cards, you're going to want to get rid of this card and hopefully get another one. So you're constantly, like, changing directions depending on what's available and what's not. And I think yeah, it's, what, it's interesting. Four, are there 14 different colors of cards or is it 16 uh i don't know it's, uh, there's a lot it's 14 or 16 but yeah. um obviously like red is rising so red's the lowest they're yes. kind of like yes. the the lowest cast and gold is the elite they're up at the top and so all of the you know the gold cards you get will typically have a fairly high um own like their own value of the card and then just their bonus might be a little bit lower or depending yeah um whereas maybe the red cards might have low starting cards but yeah. then uh higher um bonuses like for exactly for the end game scoring yeah there was one i believe that had it was ten, worth 10 points but had like an extra 50 if you pulled off some sort of combination yeah, was, to make it a 60 it point card yeah so <laughs> that's exactly right but to trigger the end of the game there's there's three things you're looking at uh one is the fleet track so the first well it's not the first person but if well, here's three things. Okay, there's the fleet track. Okay, so if one person uh, gets past seven on the fleet track, that's one of the uh, partial end game triggers. Yeah. Then there's the uh, institute. The first person to have seven or more influence on the institute is another partial trigger. And then there is helium. the helium. If you've collected seven or more helium crystals, that is another partial trigger. But the way it works is all three have to be triggered. Or if any one person triggers two of them, that triggers the end of the game. Yeah. And then you do a whole whack of endgame scoring and uh, figuring out what cards combo with what. And there's a you pad of paper. You get points for yeah. all the helium there's, you have, all the points oh, for points all the, out the wazoo. token or whatever they're called in the institute, or influence yeah. in the institute. Um, you get points for where you end up on the fleet track. Yeah. And there's huge points. Like Huge. In each game we've played, it's been... A landslide victory yeah, this for one is, or the other. This is not like a nail biter. Okay, I'm gonna win by no. like one or two points, like, and well, you can see where it's going. No, because yeah. you have no. Or I like that you have no idea 
what's in the other person's hand. Right. So you're hoping. Yeah. You have no idea what their combos are. You could try to keep it as tight as you wanted on the other, uh, on the other boards, but they could have just a massive amount of points and you lose by a (laughs) hundred. Yeah. Which we have, we've kind of beat each other by a hundred points. Either way in each game. And this game is, is highly based off a a small card game called uh, fantasy realms, which I love. Um, This is just a little bit more complex version of that game but yeah for this this game's pretty cool for bang for its buck i think it's only like 39 bucks or something uh to buy but yeah no uh so far so good but we'd really like to play with uh, a higher player count yeah to see, what, to see what it's like at see a higher what player happens count. here but but yeah that's red rising from stonemire and uh we got to run though so we will see you next week uh cheers and uh if you want to check out uh rob and ryan playing uh <laughs> yeah or uh, ashes. ashes reborn that'll be tonight if this is wednesday you're living all right see ya all right bye-bye <laughs> Hey everybody, my name is Chris Morris, friend of the show, and I'm absolutely thrilled that Cardboard Conjecture have asked me to join the fun of What You've Been Playing Wednesday. You can find me on Twitter as SpiderMo, that's spider with a Y, if you like what you hear, and want to give me a follow for some board game thoughts, a bit of hockey, and a lot of me complaining about random things. To kick off my inaugural segment on What You've Been Playing, I want to talk about a game that I got to the table this week, Mind Management from Off the Page Games. It's a two-to-five player game by the dynamic Canadian duo of Jay Cormier and Senfun Lim, and is based off the graphic novel series of the same name by Matt Kint. The graphic novel series is all about a secret espionage agency that recruits psychic agents as spies. I haven't read the series, but the theme definitely soaks through in this game from everything that I have heard. The game has one person playing the recruiter, trying to avoid capture while attempting to recruit agents by moving around the board. The other players are rogue agents trying to track down the recruiter. It's a hidden movement game where the recruiter does not have a figure on the board, but instead tracks their movement on a dry erase board hidden behind a screen from all the other players. It's a much faster playing game than many other games of this genre, such as Fury of Dracula or Letters from Whitechapel, but it has just as much depth squeezed into it. The board is broken down into a 6x7 grid of squares, and each square has two different features placed on it. At the beginning of the game, the recruiter is going to get three cards showing images that match specific locations on the board where they can recruit their agents throughout the game. These locations can include things such as subliminal billboards, thought shield umbrellas, or the humorously named C4 K9 assassin dogs. They're actually completely harmless, trust me. Each location appears five times on the board, meaning the recruiter is going to be running all over the place trying to track down the number of agents they need to recruit. In the full game, the recruiter needs to collect 12 of these recruits, all while avoiding detection. Meanwhile, the rogue agents are trying to move around the board and must try to find out what locations the recruiter is looking for by asking questions about various features on the board and whether the recruiter has visited any of those locations so far during their movements. If the agents correctly guess a feature that the recruiter has moved through, a footprint marker is placed by the recruiter, giving a little bit of information about where their movement has taken them thus far. In order to determine exactly when the recruiter has been in that spot, though, the agents must spend another action while in that space to reveal the round the recruiter was there. By using these breadcrumbs, the agents will slowly start to piece together the recruiter's current location and where they may be headed. The recruiter also has the use of immortals who can move around the board 
blocking the agent somewhat, and also assisting the recruiter to acquire more recruits in their own manner. However, the rogue agent players can shake down the immortals to gather more intel about what the recruiter is doing. So there's this careful balance of play throughout, as the immortals can actually provide a lot more information if the right questions are asked. Both the rogue agents and the recruiter also have special abilities that they can activate throughout the game. The recruiter can win by collecting their 12 recruits or by avoiding detection for 16 rounds, while the agents only win if they can track down exactly where the recruiter is by moving an agent into their space and capturing them. The game is absolutely wonderful. The art is fantastic in my opinion, and original artist Matt Kint worked with JN Sen to create unique artwork for the board and the game. It is dripping with theme and plays in about an hour or so, which for this style of game is fantastic. I played as at the recruiter in our plays, and for the first half of the game, I was sweating bullets as the rogue agents successfully shook down two of my immortals early, thus limiting my options significantly. I then had to scramble to find my available recruits in unique ways, while also trying to avoid giving away my current location. There was one turn about halfway through our game that was the deciding factor as the rogue agents went sniffing in the opposite direction as myself, and it handed me the win, but it all could have been over if they had went with their original hunch. There's also a campaign or a legacy aspect to the game, as each time one side loses, they're able to open up one of their boxes included in the game, which gives them an ongoing benefit in later games. This is called the shift system, and it shifts the balance to one side or the other in future games. And trust me, these aren't little tiny bonuses. Some of them can be game changers, judging by what we opened in the first box. Of course, this does mean that to get the most out of these boxes, you'll need to play with the same group in repeated plays to get the most out of them. But nothing in the game is forever changed, so you can reset very easily if playing with new players. Even without the shift system, the game plays incredibly well and offers a ton of replayability without even opening those boxes. There's also an intro game, which I think is a good way to get everyone settled into the game that removes a lot of the special abilities and the immortals from it. Even as very experienced gamers, we felt that this intro game was a must-play for the first time that we all sat down. I've never read any of the graphic novels, but I was able to dive right into the theme without that knowledge, and now I want to track down a few of the collections and see what it's all about. So that's Mind Management from Off the Page Games, and I'm Chris Morris. If you liked what you heard from me and want to hear or see more, I can be found on Twitter as Spidermo. Thanks for listening, and may all your dice rolls be critical successes. Hi, I'm David. And I'm Shay. And this is What Have You Been Playing? A weekly podcast by Canadian content creators about games we've been playing and what we want to talk about. Right? Yeah. Did I nail it? I mean... It's been a couple of weeks since we've been it on. It has. I mean, you still refuse to call it its proper name. No. But. I'm sorry. What art thou been playing? Ah, yes. There you go. Nailed it. Nailed Good. it. Okay. Tonight we are going to be talking about the quest for El Dorado. This is a Dr. Reiner Kinesia game. Art by Vincent Dutrait. Uh, it was released in 2017. So in board game years, that's about 30 years ago. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Roughly. Uh, this is a deck-building movement game, or race game. Yeah. Uh, you're trying to get from point A to point B, uh, a bunch of terrain in between, and you have a deck of cards that you're buying out of the 
or expanding by buying from the market and there are some spots where you can thin out your herd a little bit or thin out your deck and you're just trying to match terrains this is i'm gonna say one of the first deck builders i played that i had a board with it uh this one and clank are the two that really stand out to me Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a friend of ours game and and it's one that i really really like yeah, it was interesting. This was my first time playing this game. Yes. Um, and I thought there were definitely some neat aspects to it, like how, you know, you could always, you can't stack cards. So if there's a four, you can't play two twos to be able to yes. get across it. I thought that was kind of different uh, and definitely created some challenges. And the other big thing is blocking. You, you can sit in yeah. front of somebody in a path or a passage that you know they have to come through and they all get backed up waiting for you to move i would say that's probably my least favorite part of the game um <laughs> just because like you can get a bunch of turns where you just don't do anything right because there's some aspect of being able to buy new cards but yep. all the cards aren't aren't worth a ton of money like other than the actual money cards which are worth one or whatever powers on them um the rest of the cards are all just worth half a coin and yeah. you can only draw four cards, right? Yeah, there's, there's nothing that allows you to... Well, I guess there was a couple of cards you could buy that allowed you to add more cards into your hand for that turn. Yeah. But there's nothing that allows you to expand the deck size, like uh, Maracaibo or yeah. Great Western Trail, that type of idea. So, so that's one thing that, like, usually if there's an aspect of being blocked, I like to have at least something else you can do, right, to kind of mitigate that. Um, so it, that I found a little annoying and it kind of created a boring couple rounds where I was maybe stuck behind people and couldn't do anything. Yeah, I could see there were, it, it really is the only interaction in the game though, is that blocking or yeah. running into each other. So I, I, I see it from both, both sides. It can be, it can be frustrating, Yeah. but it, it's also, it's one of those challenges in the game. Yeah, I'd say, like, it's not something that necessarily needs to be taken away or anything, because you're right, like, it, it you you wouldn't get much interaction. The only other interaction, I'd say, would be the fact that there's only three of each card, so yeah. once you put one out, there's a chance that you might not get that card. Yeah, the, the neat thing about the, the market is there's six types of cards available off the start, and then one, the person who clears the or buys the last of a type of card, decides which of the other, I think it's about 12 other options yeah. that they're going to bring down into their uh, into the market and be available. Uh, you're only allowed to buy one card per turn. So, you know, in theory, in a four-player game, when it comes back, you could not see that card at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there was many times where, I, where it didn't make it back around, but... Theoretically, if you place a good one out there, there is that chance, right? Yeah, m money's pretty tight in this game, so yeah. buying cards isn't a huge factor. I, I found that I had a lot of money off the start and bought a bunch of cards, but at the end it sort of hurt me because I didn't get the, the ones that I needed to get to the end where you pulled exactly what you needed, sort of like you were cheating. I was not cheating. I will say, this is one game that <laughs> I maybe wasn't blown away by it, but I did win, which yeah. was fun. Um I'm always hit and miss on racing games, on yep. whether I enjoy them or not. Uh, Cubitos is one that I do really enjoy. Not very good at it. Um, but racing games are always are a little bit like there's, 
you, you know, it's there's fun. always a bit of luck to it, and the goal of the game is to get somewhere rather than get points, so you can yeah. feel a little bit like no matter what you do, there might be a chance, you know, you, you can't mitigate it. Yeah, no matter what you do, you're going to lose it. Yeah, exactly. But I do think it was a solid game. I like, I thought it was pretty looking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like the little explorers that you have. Yeah, Vincent Dutrait is one of those artists that can really make some great, like, uh, nature ideas and that type yeah. of graphic design. He does a very good job. I, I don't know if this is one of his earlier ones, but I, I know there's a lot more since this one that, or in, yeah. re- in recent years that people are like, yeah, that's a Vincent Dutrait yeah. game, right? And Kinesia has always been making good games. Absolutely. Uh, so that is Quest for Eldorado. We are Board on the Air, a weekly podcast site where you can find us podcast on site. our weekly radio show that you can find us on CFCR in Saskatoon okay. at 6 p.m. on Thursday evenings. See, if, if I let you do it, it comes out right. Yeah. Right. I mean, you nailed it with podcast site because we are yes. not a site. We are no, a podcast. You can you, find you, us on podcast sites. You, you can find our podcast We are not as well. a podcast site. No. Hey. <laughs> right. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good night. Hi, this is Andrew Buckolds of BoardingGame.com, and I'm here to talk about what I've been playing. This week, I'm going to talk about Crescent City Cargo. Crescent City Cargo is a 2021 release from Spielworks. Is designed by Jason Daner with artwork by Harold Leesky. This is the second title in the planned Cajun trilogy from Daner and Spielworks. The first in that trilogy was Captains of the Gulf, which was released in October of 2018. The planned third title is Acadians, Life of the Early Cajun Settlers. I backed Captains of the Gulf on Kickstarter and was very impressed with it. I thought that Daner did an excellent job of combining a theme that he cared about with modern Euro mechanics, and I think that Crescent City Cargo falls into that tradition well. Crescent City Cargo puts players in the roles of managing competing logistics companies in New Orleans in the time period from 1908, when the port received significant funding for expansion, to 1914, when the outbreak of the First World War greatly affected shipping. In the game, players will be picking up resources from the warehouse and then delivering them on the docks. They'll deliver them to either containers, to trains, or to cargo ships. There are several interesting things going on in this central mechanic. For one, both where you pick up and where you deliver is determined by pieces that are shared between all players. This is done by means of a warehouse manager and dock worker, which go on the tracks for the warehouse and the docks respectively, and which are moved by players each time they're looking to make a pickup or delivery, respectively. When you decide to choose one of those actions, you're going to move the figure in question at least one space forward, possibly two, which doesn't cost you anything, but then you can go further for further costs in either morale or in cash. Morale is a really important resource in this game, and it's something that you use every time you pick up goods, usually one morale per good. It's used every time you deliver goods, usually one morale per good. 
Cash is also very important, as cash is going to be your victory points at the end of this game. So there are plenty of chances for you to make cash and spend cash throughout the game, but every time you spend cash, you're losing some of your eventual victory points. So that's an important trade-off that you always have to be thinking about. Crescent City Cargo is very much a game of action efficiency. In order to be able to pick up goods, you need to have enough trucks you can put the goods on, and in any individual truck cabin, you can combine either building materials or food, but you cannot mix and match between those resources. There are two types of building materials with wood and iron, and there are three types of food with coffee, grain, and meat. And you can have the building materials together or the food together, but you cannot have both of them. So in order to pick up goods more efficiently, you need to improve your trucks. You need to either upgrade your trucks or build more trucks. You also need to improve on one of the tracks, which is going to affect how many resources you can pick up on a given action. That particular track is the forklift track. There's also a gantry track, which affects how many resources you can deliver for one action. And there's a human resources track, which affects how many morale you gain when you decide to use the take a break action and reset your morale. There are also offices that you can build, and those give you special powers that make other things more efficient. But as with everything else in the game, the opportunity cost comes from spending your time and resources building offices. Through my plays so far, I've found Crescent City Cargo to be a very interesting puzzle. You always want to have one vein upgraded so that you can do a second vein more efficiently, but you can't spend all your time upgrading your various abilities because then you're going to run out of time to actually deliver goods and make money before the end of the game. It's a really interesting, very interactive game. It's one that uh, is definitely not light and easy, but I think the brain-burning combo nature here will appeal to a lot of heavy Euro players, and I think that it also realizes its theme of logistics and of logistics in this particular location of New Orleans very well. So I think this is a great second entry in the Cajun Trilogy from Jason Daner and Spielworks, and it's well worth seeking out if you're interested in those kind of games. It also has me very excited about their upcoming third game in the trilogy. Once again, that's Crescent City Cargo from Jason Daner and Spielworks. I'm Andrew Buckholtz, and thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at Andrew Buckholtz, B-U-C-H-O-L-T-Z, and you can find my board game writing at BoardingGame.com. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm John. And we're... Friday Night Games. You can find us on Instagram at Friday Night Games underscore official, Twitter at Friday Night GMS, and on our website at FridayNight.Games. John, what game are we talking about tonight? Oh, dude. Um, I felt like my childhood of studying those Where's Waldo books, man, prepped me for this game so hard because I was a champ at it. Yeah, you were really good. My, micro Macro Crime City. Yes, so. a 2020 game, although it came out 2021. So Micro Macro Crime City, designed by Joan Has 
Siege. Uh, we're going to mess this whole thing up here. But anyway. Johan? 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 Johan. Yeah. Artists yeah. by... You do it, John. You're better at this. Uh, Daniel Gall, Tobias uh, uh, Jokink, and Johan Sieg. Sitch. Published by Edition Spielwise. Okay, just as a note, um, if you go back a month or so, your other content creators on this segment, um, which have been playing Wednesdays, have uh, already reviewed this game. So, uh, but we want to talk about it anyway because we do what we want. Yeah, you can't tell us what yeah, to do. You can't contain PC us. board gamers. You can't <laughs> contain us, Norm, Ryan, and Ian. Okay, we do what we want. <laughs> <laughs> All uh -huh. right. So uh, tell me about the game, John. Uh, well, in this game, you are playing uh, as a detective of Crime City, uh, trying to solve whatever the trying to solve a what happened scenario. And I'm going to place a note. Whoever is a detective in the city and police in this city are doing a poor job. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of crime going on. <laughs> Uh, oh. oh man! Uh, each I game mean, I feel I feel like it it it, it might be a uh, topographical map of where we live, but you know, whatever. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, each game you will choose an <laughs> a lot envelope. of crime. A lot of crime. <laughs> each game you will choose an envelope with a set of crime cards. <laughs> uh, each set will have a picture and a clue as to where you can find the picture inside Crime City. As you find each picture, you will go through a time lapse. Uh, on the same map, which gets you to the next clue. Uh, once you solve all the crime cards, you win that crime card set, uh, which can have many difficulties uh, using a star rating from one to five. Yeah, and uh, just a big note, the time lapses, you're, you're basically following a character through the map uh, as they walk or right. do things. Um, and that's really it. It's really just uh, a Where's Waldo for adults. And I think that was mentioned yep. by the other content creators too. So yeah, <laughs> they're right. <laughs> What'd you like about it? Uh, it's super easy to play. I mean, it's so it was such a light game. Just kind of throw it on the table and be like, let's just, let's, let's play this little fun game. Yeah. Night. The game is literally a map and some carts and that's it. Yeah. So pretty awesome. Uh, uh, I, yeah, I, you thought the artwork was super cute, right? Yeah, which is uh, a little bit deceiving. Um, so, I mean, if I if Crime City doesn't give it away, um, it looks like it could be like a kid's game. Oh, um, yeah. Well, the art is, the art looks like, it almost looks like a kid's art until you start seeing some yeah. cards. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, you know, be warned. Uh, there's an age limit for, for a reason on it. Yeah, and, and you know, you're going to see like, people being stabbed and stuff uh, <laughs> you're like what the cute cute cartoon pictures dying i don't know it's yeah. it's weird it's weird because uh as mentioned on our podcast um by uh michael from apex tube he was saying that this should be a game that's re-themed for something like disney and i 100 agree like it would be super successful oh yeah so much fun too imagine Ton of money imagine you playing this with your kids that'd be amazing Oh, it'd be hilarious. It'd give him something to do for hours. Oh yeah. Like those where's <laughs> like those where's Waldo books. They worked when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, man, I love Where's Waldo, but you're really good at it. You're really good at this game. You don't even need me. <laughs> you know, I, I I watched I watched this YouTube video once on Where's Waldo and I wa there was 
there was someone who like studied all the books that were out mm-hmm. and they mathematically figured out where where Waldo was like a good percentage of the time. And I think it was something, I think it was like along the left side and like the like top left quarter of the page or something like that. I'm making this statistic up just based off memory, but uh, they, they like calculated based on where he was and came up with like on average uh, Waldo's in this section of this, of all the books. He's mostly in a section. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I agree with that. I actually, I actually love that book as a child. I remember I used to, find waldo and then i would do all the uh, extra stuff like find all the hats and find all the ice cream cones i, I loved it i love that book yeah uh, i remember when my kid had surgery at the hospital in the uh in like the pre-op section uh where they have they have like a little kids play area they have a big wall that's a where's waldo nice um thing so uh we did it we did one of those together so it was yeah fun. they should make a micro macro where's waldo city there you go. <laughs> um, and also, something I really liked about it was that uh, the hard scenarios, and I don't really want to spoil anything. You kind of have to play the game, but there's there's a lot of time lapses you kind of have to put together to get an, right. a non-obvious <laughs> answer. And I think that that is awesome. So, uh, yeah, I really love this game. I highly recommend it. Um, but, it, but you know, I'm going to go into what we didn't really like. I think that... You know, it comes with a certain amount of scenarios, and once you've done them, the game, that's it for the game. Right. So, like, you know, once you've completed, that's that's it. It's kind of sad. I mean, yeah, we play board games mostly once, but, man, I just wanted more once I finished it. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I really didn't like about it was um, when I was doing one of the time-lapse scenarios, I, 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 like, came across the answer before I was, like, finished searching for, like, the other clues so it's like oh, i already know what happens to him so now i don't really care to finish it so i don't know it was weird but like that was kind of i was that kind of bummed me out a little bit yeah yeah i know we we ended up finding the very end before we even started i think that's what happened right so uh yeah or we were like just like a quarter of the way through or something i don't remember but yeah. uh, i remember being like well that guy's dead. <laughs> Did you think it was too easy at times? Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, even for like the five star ones, um, I think like trying to make the connection, like there's one where it's like, Oh, why, why did this person do this specific crime? And it was like, well, it, that, that was like the hard part of it was like, well, yeah, I don't, I don't want to give anything away, but it was like, it was hard to make that connection because of one of the characters didn't look, I don't know. It was right. weird. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, no, yeah, it, it, yeah. I do know what you're talking about. We don't want to ruin anything, but yeah. uh, sometimes it was too easy. And sometimes it, it, I, I, I don't know. Sometimes it was really hard, I, but <laughs> I thought a lot of the easy <laughs> ones were too easy. The hard yeah. ones were, were pretty good. So I wanted a lot. I more. mean, I want a lot more hard ones, I guess at the end of the day. Awesome. Uh, yeah. I think too, like if you're, if you're looking at, uh, the game and you feel like you aren't sure about it and you see it at the store, you can actually solve one of the things right on the box. So, I mean, you can just test it out to kind of see what the game is like on the box, which is kind of cool. Nice. And when you're done, you can just give it away to your friends. Uh, right. <laughs> also, just as a note, there are, this is the first one of four. And apparently, I don't know if the fifth one is supposed to be like this, but you're supposed to put all the maps together and do like this mega ultra micro macro crime city. At least that's what I read. So, 
Hopefully, you'd have to move all your furniture to get that map. On yeah, I know. Hopefully, that's true. If that's true, I'm <laughs> totally sold by this game. So, awesome, cool. All right, if you like what you hear, don't forget you can follow us on Instagram at Friday Night Games underscore official, Twitter at Friday Night GMS, and on our website at Friday Night dot games. Thanks. Take care. Thanks, everyone. Hey, everybody, this is Norm from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast and Bridge City Board Gamers here in Saskatoon. And what have I been playing? A few games. I'm, I'm going to talk about two, and I'm, I'm going to try not to take a lot of time. But uh, the first game I played is a game called Distilled, designed by Dave Beck and published by uh, Paverson, Paverson Games. I'm not too sure. Tomato, tomato. Um, I'm going to quickly read you the description I'm gonna, and then uh, tell you, uh, give you some thoughts on it. So Distilled is a highly thematic strategy card game about crafting spirits in a distillery with resources management and a push your luck elements. In the game, you have inherited a distillery and are hoping to someday achieve the title of Master Distiller through purchasing goods, building up your distillery and creating the world's most renowned spirits. Use cards to purchase new ingredients and invest in upgrades to your distillery, all while eventually distilling the spirit and sending it to the warehouse. Once in the warehouse, age your spirit to enhance its flavor and bottle it to sell uh, it for major profits. Achieve the title of Master Distiller by having the most victory points at the end of the game. Points are obtained by distilling and selling spirits. Cool. So far, I'm already attention drawn completely into this game and uh uh it's it's that hand management um it's it's the push your luck it's so much fun um basically what you're getting in front of you is a um okay first of all start off with your your player board your player board is your own uh, um uh, I don't want to say warehouse, factory, distillery. <laughs> I'm offending a lot of people out there. I'm so sorry. Um, but uh, uh, any game where I can start, where I can make single malt scotch, I'm in. Sign me up. And you can. Um, so, yeah, you have this tableau in front of you that's a distillery where part of it is upgrades to your distillery. Another part is ingredients. And I think the cool part that I'm liking already is on the left is uh, where you put kind of like the idea of in your still, right? The mash, the ingredients, the water, the yeast, um, uh, the flavors, uh, the, uh, the, the alcohol. What, what I find intriguing is um, the, the ingredients or the sugars that you put in, you get to add alcohol cards because of that whole thematic process of it's, you know, the whole, the whole, the whole idea of, of brewing. Um, creating that uh, that off product of alcohol, and um, so the uh, the when you go to di when you go to distill the process, I think thematically is really cool because I saw this witness this when we were in Scotland, where they they don't take the head or the tail of the distilled product because they want the heart of it. So how this thematically is represented in the game is. Once you get all your products, all your cards together in regards to uh, that vat, you shuffle them up, you take the front card off and you take the back card off, then 
you determine what type of uh, spirit that you've that you've uh, created, and then you put a label on it, and then um, we. And again, without getting too deep into it, uh, I th- I really I thought this game was so much fun. The uh, I only had the opportunity to play solo, and in the solo mode, it was engaging me enough because they came up with such a brilliant solo uh, tableau where you have to work your way from the bottom to the top. And how this tableau of cards is, there's certain um, pre, it's like prerequisites that you have to uh, achieve in order to move your way up to the top of this tableau. And it was one, two, three, four, five rows. On the bottom was um, two cards, two or three cards, three, four, five, four, three. And uh, how the formula worked for your victory point conditions, because I, I, I'm not a big fan of, oh, try to get your best score, right? I mean, I get that. That happens sometimes. But this one was kind of cool because the middle row that is revealed to you once you put this tableau of solo cards down has an objective. And of course, on the bottom has this number that varies within cards of that domain. And on the last row has another set of cards with another number. You, whichever path you take up to the top of this car, of this tableau, which you have to, um, you total up those two numbers and that is your target that you have to beat. Um, I could continue talking about this game. It's so much fun. I think it's just closed on its Kickstarter. And I've been told that you can access the pledge manager and order that way as well. So I recommend if, uh, if you like this kind of hand building, push your luck uh, game and the theme, if the theme appeals to you, then it's a, it's a no brainer. Cool. I'm going to quickly talk to you about a second game that I've played because in the uh, two days that I've had it, I played it about six or seven times already. And that's Rocket Man. Designed by Martin Wallace and published by Phalanx. Um, this is a race game, deck builder, uh, different kind of deck builder, right? Uh, because you're deck building to prepare a rocket to push your luck to try and achieve uh, a set, uh, one of uh, missions to either Earth, the Moon, or Mars. And... Uh, it's, yeah, I, I've, the solo part of it is compelling. It's a good game, but I can't wait to play this game with a whole bunch of people because, I mean, I can see a lot of, uh, a lot of fun uh, race elements and, and, and market snags uh, away from other people. So, yeah, that's uh, Rocket Men uh, by Martin Wallace. I deck building, push your, oh, I got to talk, I wanna quickly tell you about the launch deck. That's the push your luck part. Uh, in this launch deck, there's zero cards, one cards, twos, threes, and fours. And, and again, you know, like uh, uh, on the outside, there's, there's a limited amount. And the cards in the middle, the, you know, two threes, uh, there's a few of them. And you shuffle it up. And each mission has a, a predetermined amount of cards that you will draw off the launch uh, uh, deck. And uh, sometimes you, you, pull, you, know, you draw a lot of ones and uh, things don't go well. Um, and sometimes you, uh, you have very successful launches with a limited amount of cards. So yeah, Rocket Men. I, I, yeah, that's, a, it's a fun game. I'm not going to come right out and say, go get it. It's Martin Wallace. I love Martin Wallace, but um, yeah, I'm having fun. I'll get back to you on this one. And uh, so we get to that point now where I get to say, thank you so much for listening. 
And thank you so much to all the wonderful contributions to the What You Be Playing Wednesday cast. And uh, as always, keep your stick on the ice and take care out there, eh?